Sonic States. So, uh, welcome everybody to podcast Sonic Talk number 24. Uh, this is going to be going live on Thursday, the 30th of November 2006. Uh, we've got a new guest here in the form of Hans Jorg Bordin, who uh, is from digitalmusician.net, amongst other things, and he also has a podcast which he does on the side. And uh, we thought it might be fun for him to come along and, uh, and, and chip in on this one. So, h- hello to you, Hans. Hello, Nick. Hi, everybody else. And we've also got Mark Tinley, a regular guest. Uh, Mark Tinley is uh, obviously our resident programmer, engineer, sound artist, and musician. Hello there. And Dave Spears from G Media Music, makers of fine plugins. Um, getting quite busy up to NAM, I'd imagine now, Dave. Nope, not at all. Oh, right. <laughs> no, uh, yes, it's madness. Yes. I'm getting a bit worried about um, not having booked my hotel yet. Our normal um, room has um, vanished. Oh, no. We wanted to call it the G Media Suite, and. Um, Sadly, it's gone. Oh, dear. Oh, Jesus. That reminds me of my last uh, trip to Nam, where these guys were having a raving party next door till 6, of, six o'clock in the morning, and I think the, the, the um, people from the hotel had to come by, you know, every hour, but they just kept, kept on drinking, and ah, oh, it was awful. Hey, it wasn't... Uh, which room were you in, Dave? It wasn't yours, was it? Uh, no. <laughs> Hans, one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on is because um, we talked a little bit about e-session over the last couple of uh, uh, podcasts, and uh, Mark Tinley has, in fact, uh, registered for that. And um, you contacted me shortly afterwards and told me that uh, about, about digitalmusicians.net, which yes. um, you were kind of saying is a kind of in, in a similar area. Perhaps you'd care to expand on that for us. Well, uh, it's in the same area, but we are sort of more of a community-type platform Whereas eSession is more as an, more, I see it more as an agency, a booking agency via internet, whereas we are more uh, trying to drive people to one community that are interested in working together with other musicians and I like to, um, you know, use modern technology uh, to accomplish that. And uh, we just feel that there's a fair chance that you meet somebody in a large community that sort of matches your musical tastes and maybe uh, a good good partner for a project uh, on, on the internet. And we've also developed um, a technology called the Digital Musician Link, and we just released the Digital Musician Messenger, which is basically um, a plugin for AU, RTS, and VST that allows you to um, do an online recording via DSL lines with a built-in video um, conference system and a chat. Have you got this thing working? Oh yeah, sure. We've been we are online now since August uh, two thousand. Ooh, <laughs> Four. Sorry. So we've been going for quite some time, and um, yeah, we've got it working. It was a big struggle, and we just released uh, the Artes and AU versions. And um, f- for AU, we had to um, we could only do the Messenger version, which is a, a slightly stripped-down version of the Link uh, that uh, is basically um, like a like a like a Skype Messenger with video, but you can use it within. Uh, your uh, audio software. So you could hook that up into your master's channel and you'll be able to talk and see uh, the other guy and you'll be able to monitor uh, his or her performance. You could coach somebody and then you, 
we have a built-in send file function. So if you like a take or a recording, you can ask your partner to send it to you directly peer-to-peer. -peer. And everything is free. You can go through it out. You're not sending a kind of full render of the audio in real time. It's just a kind of um, delay-compensated take. Is that the way it works? Well, it, the way it works is we, we obviously have to resort to compression. Uh, and you need to have, uh, you should have an upload uh, of 256-kbit um, upstream uh, DSL connection. And then we, we uh, compress it. In the free version, uh, quality goes up to 128-kilobit MP3 a compatible format and then what we do is we basically timestamp the uh, audio um, when it's been sent so when you do the recording you don't even notice any kind of delay because it sort of gets sorted into your we sort of send the the, the audio with the timestamp and you just start your sequence or you can even remotely start it uh, and sync via MTC using Cubase and it actually just feels and records like if you were um, doing it without any latency. Wow, that sounds like, that sounds like sort of magic. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Does it work in logic as well? Well, right now we uh, only got the messenger running under AU because there's some uh, technical issues that uh, with with logic because it, it's got um, different kinds of uh, buffer concept because it got three different buffers and uh, sometimes it won't send timestamp information when there is no audio in the arrangement and that's why we couldn't uh, do the uh, real-time recording function but you can use the messenger function you can you know, hook it into your master channel and talk and um, see the other guy and listen so to that, what he's so doing. They could they could, you could listen to what they're doing and then they could say, yeah, I'll, and then you can say, I'll have that one, and they send you the file. Would that work in logic? Yes. Okay, and then it's, it's, but you'd that, have to place it. It wouldn't be timestamped, is that? Correct, yes. So they could send you a stem or something from bar, bar one and that would get over that problem, presumably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, is that going to be something you see yourself overcoming in the future? And then my other question would be, could I work in Logic while Duran Duran, say, work in Pro Tools and then I share chunks of information with them and it all works, you know, like my session becomes compatible with theirs without having to export from Pro Tools and import into Logic and vice versa? Mm, maybe... I mean, the problem uh, right now, you can do it with, with Pro Tools, with Cubase and Ableton. These, these all work together. But um, with Logic, there is this timestamping problem. So you would be able to do a connection between a Pro Tools and then a Logic system via Internet. You would be able to sort of work together and hear each other. But there wouldn't be any kind of project or song file format uh, compatibility. So you'd have to do that, still would have to do that manually. Right, so if Logic want to stay in the game, they have to fix that quick, don't they, really? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so what, what sort of users are you, uh, are you kind of uh, appealing to? And are you... Oh, yeah, we've got almost 7,000 registered users right now, and almost 1,000 users have actually uploaded um, uh, um, their own artists and studios homepage with demo tracks and pictures and everything. And it seems to attract the the uh, ambitious semi-professional and we've uh, heard of lots and lots of people who are regularly using the community uh, to um, to actually exchange uh, pieces of work you know and uh, we we're, I mean the plugin is one is only one part of the story the whole picture that we are trying to um, 
get across is that now that we've all got this great um, audio production tools and sample libraries and everything, it still makes for a better song if the, 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 the demo drum beat that's been done on a groove agent or whatever is actually be, being played by a real drummer. And most musicians just don't have the contacts or the budget to actually do that in a studio in town. Some of the stuff can also be done offline using, um, uh, using um, the website. Right. And we will also, uh, we're currently also working on tools to enable more of an offline collaboration system. Whereas we feel that the live recording situation is, is great for some applications, but a lot of people, uh, lots of the people really like to you know, work on, on their part on their own or right. whenever their time schedule is, sure. is, is working for them and they'd like to post that to the server. Oh, so you can do it that way as well, right? So, so you've got yeah. project management and, you know, file saving areas and all of that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Is that area still free or does that cost money? I think, uh, yeah, everything is basically free what we're doing right now. Yeah, so you're sort of building the community and then you'll... Presumably, have we cash. Of... We cash in later. Yeah. <laughs> How, what's your background then? How did you get involved in the, in a project like this? Well, uh, it's actually been um, it's a project that I co-founded with the former owners and founders of Steinberg, Charlie Steinberg and Manfred Rurup, and I've worked uh, for for Steinberg um, in 2001 to 2003, and already in 1988. Wow. Old even school. before, yeah, old school. Even before the release of Cubase, so I was still promoting Pro Twenty Four. <laughs> oh, I like I, that program. I did some. Uh, I worked as a um, OEM sales manager for Native Instruments as well. So when I was doing, so when I was doing uh, working for Steinberg, I was responsible uh, for the Rocket system. Do you, does any of you guys yeah, remember yeah, Rocket, yes. the yeah, Rocket yeah. Network? Yeah. yeah. And I tried to get that off the ground for Steinberg, and that's how I've always, you know, felt that the idea of uh, using the internet to sort of bring back co the collaboration element into music was a worthwhile task. The thing about the whole system is, you know, much of all the technology kind of directs a lot of energy inwards and it's not really a very collaborative thing. Um, so I think that the, the idea of taking this out and sort of starring off from there is a great one because, I mean, I think we're not used to there's a whole generation of musicians who aren't actually used to playing with other people at all. You know, mm. they're just used to kind of watching DJs and doing their own thing in their rooms on their computers. So, I Absolutely. mean, there must be kind of quite an eye-opener to a lot of people. I think it's utterly brilliant, utterly brilliant. I don't think I should ever do drums, ever. And I was considering getting BFD, but actually this probably makes more sense to me because BFD is only going to work as well as I can operate it, and I'm not a drummer. So, um, so something like this, being able to go out and collaborate with somebody that can do drums properly on some of my tunes would be utterly brilliant for me. And I'm, I'm going to join today, later. Excellent. Well, we should all try it. This. Maybe we can all sort of meet up for a jam at some point. Well, that would be really cool. That would be really cool. Yeah, test it out. I, I did notice that you, cause my German's not, not all it should be, um, or well, non-existent, frankly, and I noticed that you just recently um, in, reviewed uh, Native Instruments Massive, which is, is getting a lot of uh, interesting comments. I mean, how uh, can you give us a brief synopsis of how you found it? Yeah, I just, just did a video review on www.musotalk.de, which is my um, 
video podcasting site. It's, however, all in German. So if there's German, some people from Germany listening, uh, you know, come around and take a look and listen to some of the podcasts that I do. Uh, yes, um, what I've found is my initial uh, experience was that I really, really, really liked the user interface. I thought it was a very clean-looking and very straightforward, not only design, but the whole thing is so clearly laid out that I've, I felt it would be very, very easy you know, to program sounds there. And I like the um, built-in um, uh, core-like library browser, sound browser. I thought yeah. that was really, really, really good. And um, it does make a lot of nice and interesting sounds. The only thing that I thought uh, was a bit strange is that it was taking a huge amount of CPU. Um, and that was, and then, then uh, and that I couldn't really uh, tell any difference, except that it was taking more CPU. And when I changed uh, the different, um, I think it's got a light and a medium and a high resolution mode. And you couldn't tell the difference between them? Not, not, not really, no. Except that it was taking lots more CPU. <laughs> Dave, I mean, you, you must kind of get this a lot, because, I mean, obviously there's, there must be a sort of trade-off between, you know, performance against, uh, against sound quality, against, you know, whatever. I mean, do you, do you kind of... How, do you, how does that equation work when you're designing an instrument? Because presumably the, 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 uh, the desire must be just going, oh, well, I want it to be the best it possibly can. Uh, yeah, um, we've actually shelved projects that we've started and found that, the optimization couldn't be as kind of good as we wanted it to be, and the sound quality was compromised. So actually, in some cases, we've just gone, oh, you know, we'll leave that for the minute, and we'll get, we'll come back to it later. It, it, it is a bit of a juggling act. And in fact, I think it's the only criticism I've heard against um, Massive so far. One, one guy um, that we use for testing, who is a brilliant sound designer, um, said that he could get sort of two or three notes running on. I think it was a quad G5. Oh Jesus. Wow, that's quite a heavy, heavy R. That's a heavy burden for any computer to bear. But if it sounds great, then I suppose, you know, you can always print it or freeze it or whatever you need to do. But, uh, yeah, that's always going to be an issue, I suppose. Um, is it based on the kind of uh, the reactor kind of engine that they've reskinned, or is it kind of completely new stuff that we're talking about here, Hans? Um, what I've heard is that they use the, um, they use reactor to prototype, but at the end of the day, everything is coded individually. So it's not it's not a reactor a module with a different skin, definitely not. But but they use it to, to kind of prototype and test concepts. Oh, I see. Um, and I, I, I also checked out FM8 and tried some of the old FM7 patches. And apparently, to me, it sound they sound a little better. So they actually been you know optimizing and working on on the sound quality on that one. And I found the. Um, the high-resolution mode of Guitar Rig 2, very, very good, especially with the heavily distorted guitar sounds. It does make a lot of difference. Well, I suppose, and that's something that you might well use, you know, in solo mode. If you're using it to kind of perform through, you, you're not so worried yeah. about how much CPU it might be using when you're going in high-res or when you want to do your final bounce. And from my experience uh, at Steinberg, I remember that, you see, when, when programs are being developed, when times run out then usually it's the optimization, they take a shortcut there, because it's always at the end of a development cycle that the optimization is supposed to happen. Dave, could, Dave, would you agree on that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, optimization is, always, is generally always the last thing you do. 
that a kind of pleasant um, experience for the coda, or do you have are you constantly weighing up kind of this against that? I tell you, in my opinion, it's it's a real test of the coder's skills. You know, optimization is an art, in my opinion, in itself. So a, a really good coder will know all the route, all the correct routes to take, and all the right things to do. Uh, a novice coder will struggle immeasurably. Yeah, I can imagine because you know, presumably, you think, well, I've done, I've given my best, and then when you got to come back and sort of refine it even further. It's uh, it must be kind of quite soul destroying in some you know unless you're experienced. Yeah, sadly that's my job because I go nope, it doesn't sound as good as I want it to. Well, you know, I mean it is always a trade off, but I, I think you've got to be pretty harsh on this. I mean, you know what what you start out with is something kind of massive and hugely CPU hungry, but will sound enormous. I mean, I'll give you an example. We we started working on an Oberheim emulation of the OB8, and. We didn't want it to limit it to eight voices. We wanted 32 voices. But there's a fantastic thing in the uh, OB8 where you slam the voices into unison and then you can turn up the portamento and each voice glides at a different time to collide, you know, with this colossal sound at the end of it. Um, and doing that with 32 voices basically would bring all our computers to its knees. Um, and it was really important to get that because it was a really massive part of the original machine. And even though we were taking it further by adding more voices, etc., um, we needed to get that absolutely right. And nothing is going to see release until it's right. Wow. So, I mean, hopefully you find that out kind of early on um, and you haven't invested too much time and effort when you kind of come to this realisation, um, if that be the case. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the way most other companies work, but, I mean, you know, we'll maybe have two or three things bubbling under and, you know, when the vibe takes... When the vibe's right for a particular product, then you just go with the flow and you get it to a certain point and, you know, invariably you meet stumbling blocks and at that point you kind of reassess things. And sometimes, you know, another product might take over and you might do a little bit more work on that and then the whole vibe of that takes over and it, it, it just depends which one hits first, really. It was one of those lovely moments in the studio where the part just suddenly clicked and everyone was dancing around. Sonic State. So you can hear there how the two parts don't conflict. There are a huge number of samples on that record. We double tracked the drums, so there was a second drum track on there. The beginnings of affordable digital recording. Sonic State. If what you're writing is just explaining some kind of like facet of the software then it's like the piece of music that's been written is more explaining the machine than it is like your personality okay that was a trailer for our going solo podcast series where we talk to uh, music producers about uh, studio techniques and various other stories uh, how they made certain sounds what their philosophies are uh, this last week just come was uh, mr mick glossop who is uh, producer extraordinaire uh, and in fact has uh, worked with such luminaries as Frank Zappa and uh, Van Morrison as well as uh, people going back into the punk era. Okay, uh, next week uh, we'll be talking to uh, US producer Michael Oster whose podcast The Difficult Listening Channel has enjoyed cult status since he launched his F7 website in the mid-90s. What Oster does is he deconstructs one of his recent broadcasts and talks about trading his music online and how his SFX ended up on the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. SonicState.com. There's a sort of German connection here because uh, Waldorf have been, uh, you know, threatening to re-emerge, and there seem to be various kind of hints and and uh, teasers on their website um, that say we've got something cooking. 
Anybody know what it is? I mean, Hans, I was seeing as being um, you may be a man on the whose finger is on the pulse. You might um, yeah. might be able to tell me something. Well, I know uh, Joachim Flor, who took over the uh, the company quite well, and we we recently talked. But uh, basically, I think they're uh, taking it low key at the beginning. Uh, that basically their idea is to see what of the old um, machines they can um, manufacture continue to manufacture yeah they did a new version of their uh, of the plugins and then i think they did mactel versions as well of the old ones no, they've done an that. au version of the au yeah. version of ppg wave have they oh, yeah cool. might have to go and get that then <laughs> but i think uh, basically they have their their main intention right now is to find out which of the old products they can uh, re uh, manufacture and forget the parts oh, right, so for they're, they're, and bring them back up. Do a yeah, bit of focus grouping and yeah, because yeah. I mean, obviously, it's expensive to set up the whole process once again. But well, I mean, hopefully, we'll see something good from them. So uh, I mean, we look forward to that. The tone deaf test. I loved that one. I thought that was a cracker. Did um, oh, I hated it? Did you? Did you really? <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Because I, I failed <laughs> in my eyes. I failed. A chap called Jake Mandel has devised a, a test. He devised a test that's kind of. A, a number of musical clips with all different tonalities and uh, timbres and, and various things. And there are two phrases. There's one and then another, and you've got to tell whether they're different or the same. And it's kind of a test that he devised while he was working at uh, the Harvard Medical School in Boston, uh, a music and neuro neuroimaging lab. So he's a bit of a top boffin in training, that's for sure. And he devised this test, and he's got to make kind of link it via PHP to a, a database. So it's 36 questions, takes six minutes, and uh, you just have to press one of uh, one of two buttons. I don't know if anybody feels uh, happy to reveal their scores. I'll, I'll reveal mine. I actually did it twice. Uh, I did it on a pair of Genelex, because I thought that'll sound better, and I'll be able to get a kind of good idea of what it was. And I got 79.3%, which isn't that good. But then I did it on a pair of um, really rubbishy Yamaha... Uh, well, not rubbishy, but, you know, kind of non-hi-fi, just computer monitor speakers on the PC, and I got 88.9. Oh, I did it on my PowerBook G4 on the internal speakers on the dining room table at lunchtime with a baby screaming in the background, and I expected to get 100%. I really did, because I really think that I'm absolutely spot on when it comes to tone and everything, but I got 88.9%, which put me into the second category, so I'm not brilliant anymore, and I was most upset. But the weirdest thing is that I went through all of my answers because I was convinced that the website was wrong, and I was I listened to the ones that I got wrong, and no matter, I, I, I had to listen to them maybe 10, 15 times to learn what the tones were doing to actually figure out what I was doing wrong. And I think where I was listening wrong was I was listening where I expected it to go. And he played some really strange scales, which went off on weird kind of tangents. I was blown away with it, actually. I thought it was an amazing test. Um, I have to say, I did it rather late at night, and I got 83.3. I didn't do it again, because I'd actually looked up, you know, where I went wrong and whatnot. But I put it out to everybody here and made, and made everybody do it. Um, Puta, my German friend, got 88.9 again. Um, Chris, my partner, who's not musical at all, um, got 80.6. Um, the coder, who is musical, um, the guy from the States, I think he got 80.1 or might have, might have been very late 70s. Um, so it was really funny. It was a really, I thought it was a fascinating test. Hans, did you try it? No, no. Uh, there were two reasons, actually. 
I, I did a, a swimming um, training and I'm sort of tired doing this sort of thing. And um, this, the real reason is that I'm a sort of a punk musician. And for years and years I was doing gigs where I had to tune my guitar using an electronic tuner. Because I could never, it's been, it took me I think 20 years of playing guitar to be able to tune my guitar without a without an aid so there was absolutely no point for me to try that <laughs> what i'd like to have seen was um being able to kind of go back and listen again so when you you know you, so you could click on the question and because it what it does when you, you finished how oh, can you oh well i obviously missed yeah, that after you've had your answers when you get to the bit where it says 88.9 it says uh, there's an arrow at the top of the page which sort of says continue or something Okay, so to the left of that, where it says 33, same, and then my response was different. To the left of that, there's a blue button. If you press that blue button, it will play them to you again. Well, there you go. I may, have, got, I may have scored them. highly the second time round, but my IQ is dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about air guitar that seems to sort of endlessly fascinate both musicians and non-musicians alike? Is it because it's just so ridiculous, or is it because we all secretly want or have done done it as... I, I guess it's a guy thing, you know, posed in the mirror, pretending to be someone from The Clash yeah. or, you know, whatever band that happens to be of your era. This is utterly brilliant, because it's taking programming technology and handing it to somebody who clearly can't play a guitar and letting them have a whole load of fun. So it's about a slightly different thing as an instrument, isn't it? You know this. You you probably know that the uh, Guitar Hero thing on the PlayStation is a huge hit. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, oh, on the PlayStation. Yeah, and also there's loads of stuff on YouTube of um, kind of just amazingly virtuoso sort of Japanese or Korean, you know, shredders just doing this incredible <laughs> stuff. Uh, engineer Dr. Richard Helmer, who's a team team of uh, researchers at CSIRO Textiles and Fiber Technology in Geelong, which I think is in uh, in Australia, is a has created a wearable instrument shirt, a WIS, which enables users to play air guitar by moving one arm to pick chords and, and strum the imaginary instrument strings. Um, and and this is what we've been talking about, basically. And it, it does sound like kind of fun. I mean, could you wash it, though? Because presumably you could work up a bit of a sweat in that thing, and then if you washed it, surely wouldn't you ruin the technology? Well, it would ruin the illusion of being a guitarist if you washed it. <laughs> 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 But how, how, I, I don't understand how it knows which chord he's playing because when you watch the video, he doesn't seem to be moving. I mean, he plays the guitar above his head and strums the whole load of chords, but it seems to go through the same chord sequence. So how does it choose the well, chord? Maybe, maybe just any on... kind of movement just triggers the next chord. Yeah. So it's very basic. Right. It's got to be some kind of a trick in, involved. Some so kind like of a, a shortcut. <laughs> yeah. So like it's a whole load of fun for those people that want to play air guitar, but unbelievably frustrating for anyone that actually wants to do anything musical with it. I suspect it's a brilliant piece of PR by someone who's invented some new textile te- uh, technology and wants to have a hit like, you know, those global hypercolor T-shirts. And the Aussies just, have got it going on, though. Have they? What, what, what with this and those pants the other week? Oh, that's Carry true. On. I'm going to be in heaven in front of you. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to, you can have a well-stocked um, Christmas stocking. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to prance around in your wonder pants playing air guitar on Christmas morning. Perfect. Remember to, to draw the curtains, the though, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> the Nintendo Wii looks, um, looks remarkably interesting to me because it's, 
it sort of turned the whole gaming concept into a physical thing rather than just RSI thumb action. Uh, have you seen? There's, they've got a fairly heavy um, TV campaign in the UK. I don't know. They, they've probably got similar things going on in uh, in Germany. I'd imagine, Hans. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not quite. Sure. I mean, the machines are out now. Um, did anybody hear uh, if this is really working well? I mean, that's uh, it, basically it, the idea is great, but does it does it really work? Uh, it does. Yes. Have you tried it, yeah. Dave? Uh, yep. Have you got it? <laughs> No, I had to resist. I am a complete games fanatic. I used to do things like take a week off work just to finish a game. Oh, really oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't I do that anymore. Is it like so? You're, <laughs> have you been going? Have you been going to kind of like um, gamers anonymous meetings to say uh, to, to try and give it up? I should do. I'm not as bad as some. I know. Uh, in fact, I will say, um, Art Arcoda had, had to lock away his Xbox 360 and his. Nintendo DS and his PSP and everything in order to get some work done. So, it's, it, you know, this can get a bit out of hand. But I think he went to the American launch where they were taking the advance orders. And, I mean, there was, like, queues around the block. It's cheap. It's cheap. I know. Well, that's the other thing because, I mean, the PS3 is, you know, which, as we know, Sony have kind of struggled to get to market. And it costs kind of some, it's five or 600 bucks, isn't it? This costs 200 bucks or 250 bucks. So in the UK, what's that? It's about 150 quid. But when we're talking about using um, controllers from these things last week as well, or the week before, then really quite interesting to use as a musical instrument. Wouldn't I can imagine there must be there must be something on the go. I mean, you could do a, mm. you know just as a, on a very basic level. I mean, you could do a virtual theremin without you know with your eyes closed. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. It looks great. I mean, I'm I'm almost tempted to get one for Christmas. Actually, I really am. That's assuming I don't buy my uh, my Mac Mini as a media center. Has anyone kind of looked? Has any, does anybody have a media center of any sort? Because it seems to be, or has been for a long time. You know, if you read technology magazines, you know everybody's well, getting well, media centers. Anyone Nick, got what one? What is a media center for you? What do you mean by that? Well, I suppose I it's, a... it's the place where you know all my video and uh, music and DVDs and stuff just sits, and I can kind of play it out of that. I, mean, I do that with a MacBook Pro. <laughs> yeah, I do that with I do that with my power book because I refuse to upgrade until it all works properly. <laughs> I suppose so, but um, I mean, it's not a video recorder, for instance, and you can make these. Yeah, but it, but but the Mac Mini isn't either, so you need to buy a, 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 an external uh, solution. Um, yes, but I can true. plug my I can plug my power book straight into my television, and I watch my episodes of Lost on my power book plugged straight into the TV on the TV screen. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Are Apple just doing a, a good job of selling me a lifestyle and I'm kind of buying it then, do you think? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can't see... The thing about that is I can't see my girlfriend kind of getting her head round. I want to watch, you know... I want to put bananas in pyjamas on for your daughter. Where's your power book? You know what I mean? It's That's that's the thing. I mean, the thing that may, mm. that appeals to me is the fact that it's just dirt simple and you've just got a remote. And I suppose the other thing is is my record collection is taking up such a huge amount of space. And I hardly ever listen to it because I can't be bothered to climb over the sofa and kind of search through it. And this might actually made me listen to a bit more music, is what I was thinking, really. When I got my iPod, it was ama- it's really amazing. Ever since I got it, I really started to listen to more music again. It did change my listening behaviours. Are, are you listening to it on headphones, though? Most of the time, yeah. Or I just connect it with it. I just plug it into my uh, stereo. What about you, Dave? Have you been tempted to... Uh... To get with the 21st century? 
Not yet, no. No? I've just got too much stuff, man. Jesus, I'm sat here, I've got a MacBook Pro on the left, I've got a bloody G5 in the middle, I've got the G4 on the right, I've got another bloody G3 over in the corner there, I've got another laptop in the other room. I mean, it's just like, I'm getting to the point where I've got sort of stuff saturation. I've still got an Atari. Fantastic, so have I, actually. <laughs> I just can't bring myself to get rid of it, because there are songs on there that one day I might get back to. Why don't you just export I... them as MIDI files, Dave? Oh, because I'm a lazy sod. I mean, it's just, I've got into this culture of just acquiring more and more gear. And it's just like, you know, now I've got a house full of gear and Mrs. who's doing her nut. Yeah, but I think what you vastly un, uh, um, underestimate is the amount of work it takes to convert your collection into digital formats. That's oh, quite tell me cool. about it. I did it. I, well, I tried. With, I tried with digital, okay, so video cameras. I've got a digital eight video camera that I bought years ago that I've got loads of stuff you know, Nipper when she was tiny. I tried slinging that into iMovie and Final Cut Pro, doing that, burning DVDs and all the rest of it. I've still kept all the tapes. I've got a mini DV, I've got a bloody DV camera, now we're into HD, and it's just like, oh, Christ, you know, every time another format comes out, it's, I've got to digitise this and reconvert that and get rid of this and then archive that. It all ends up in a massive headache. You need a media uh, centre, Dave. Then it'll all I be need, in one place. I need a, I need, I need a secretary. solve the problem. Yeah, okay. I did actually a, 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 vid, a podcast on that. Really, really something in the digital age that's a serious um, uh, thing is that uh, we lose lots and lots and lots of information and data because of the uh, different format. I had a, um, you, you probably remember the old Sony uh, magneto optical drives we had for S1000s, the 600 yeah, yeah, megabytes. Yeah, and it took me two years to find somebody who would, you know, who still had a um, a machine, uh, a unit, plus uh, a Mac driver, plus a Mac that would actually load that driver and would be able to convert all the data for me on a CD because I had got some great singing on that. And so uh, that's really something, you know, it took me over a year to actually uh, digitize my video eight cassettes from you know some of my performances and my my son into a digital format, it's a nightmare. So I'm going back to to a bit of vintage technology. Um, I noticed there was uh, on Matrix Synth's uh, Blogspot there was uh, there was an MS Korg MS50. There's a, this strange geographical kind of um, scenario that um, apparently the Korg factory used to be in the south of France near Lyon. And there was a bloke who I happened to meet through um, through early days of Sonic, who sourced all just tons and tons and tons of Korg stuff. And I had a um, I had an old uh, Digi Pro Tools four channel system that he wanted, and he said, "Oh, I'll I'll trade it for an MS twenty, and I think I've got a couple of other things lying around. I think there might be an MS fifty. So I sent him this thing, and then one day this box arrived with an MS twenty, an MS fifty, and an SQ ten in it. So I had one for a while, and uh, the the problem was though, I mean, it was for all its greatness and rarity. You know, if you're actually working on pop music or whatever and you kind of got to quickly get a sound together, I, I just found that I could just really couldn't be bothered. And I wondered whether mm. anybody else had um, had uh, had used an MS-50 and could perhaps persuade yeah. me that I'd made the wrong decision. Yes, you did. Because <laughs> I did my first... Uh, my first two records were done on MS-20 and SQ-10. And um, then I, I used to have two uh, MS-20, two SQ-10 and an MS-50. And so far, I've kept one MS-20 and SQ-10 for um, emotional reasons. Uh, but I think the, the Korg MS-20 
20 series, the whole lot, is basically a trademark sound of the German new wave sound of the early 80s. Okay. Like like uh, like bands like Die Duff, Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, and Liaison Dangereux, they all use this synth, and it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a very German uh, early new wave uh, thing, the Corks. Did you ever use them? I mean, it sounds like, Mark, that would be kind of up your street because you could kind of patch things in and make things sound a bit ugly. And I have used them. I mean, I didn't use them till much later, though. I mean, Nick's got an MS-20, I think, or an MS-30. Is there an MS-30 as well? No, MS-20, no. MS-50 is uh, the one with MS-40? No, MS-20 is in. <laughs> Nothing in between. <laughs> <laughs> an MS-100. I've got one. Wait. He has something, anyway, one of these things, and we have patched things in and out of it. The only weird thing I seem to remember about them was that I basically owned lots of Roland gear, and the Roland CV gate system works the opposite way round to cords, I think. Oh, yeah, it's incompatible. So the, voltage, yeah. so the voltages are completely the wrong way round. Thinking about it now, that could make for some quite interesting, weird stuff. I think the whole cork stuff, it's not. They, these are not synthesizers to actually play melodies on. It's not like the melody the, the solo sense it's they're more like noise machines and when you listen to like the german D, deutsche amerikanische Funcher records they just go they've got these really very really weird sequences that they use and they're not actually used for playing pop music and i think it's pretty hard to play pop music on an ms series synthesizer well looking here on the vintage synth explorer list there's uh, william orbit afs twin afx twin stereo lab vince clark uh, who else have we got? Apollo 440, uh, The Prodigy, uh, Einstürzer, New Button. I couldn't say that properly. Hans, if you just like to kind of inject. Einstürzende Neubauten. That's them. Dave, have you. Uh, have, have you um, I've never heard you waxing about the Korg MS20. Is that something you've ever used? A long time ago. Um, but not in any real detail. No, it's like Hans said, you know, it, it's got that distinctive sound. Yeah. It's definitely. Very harmonic. Uh, I mean. They do. I, I have. I, well, I've still got one, um, and we're doing. You know, our top twenty synths um, thing. It's it's featuring in that, and we've we've had a few people in. We had Adrian Utley from Portishead come in and uh, talked about it. And Goldfrapp use one a lot because um, they use it on uh, on Alison's voice, where she sings into the pitch to voltage thing, and then it's there's a roadie at the side of the stage, kind of manipulating the filter for. Uh, I think it's Lovely Head. That's that's an MS twenty. Um, oh, cool. And it's it's incredibly organic and visceral sound you can when you watch, watch a golf rap gig if you've ever been and they do that song live and she's singing into it you can see all the audience kind of clutching their stomachs and kind of looks you know sort of wrenching their guts about because it, it just looks like it's so like she's like something's sort of something's going to come out of her mouth like from alien or something it's very um it, it's got a very strong emotional content i mean obviously partly that's to do with her voice but it's also got to do with the electronics inside the ms20 which is is quite organic in a way um any classic ms sounds on records anyone could could pinpoint i mean uh, there's obviously that golf rap uh, lovely head vocal sound that's that's the ms20 anybody else got any omd electricity okay i'm not familiar with that one but perhaps i can find a clip um, it's not particularly you... memorable that isn't it <laughs> ray of light William Orbit used it quite a lot on my own. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. This is definitely being my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed, obviously after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. 
it's, it's a pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. The last new t- news item that I found was um, Sony's uh, unfortunate um, Cybershot camera recall. Um, you yet another thing that um, that seems to have gone a bit wrong. Apparently, uh, they found a defect in their Cybershot Digi- Digicams um, that uh, LCD displays in eight models that went on sale from September 03 to January 05 may not show images correctly um, If or all the cameras may not be able to take photos at all. Uh, and they reckon <laughs> that Sony expects around 4,000 could need repairs. So um, I think you can find serial number and model information on their site, but it just rather smacks of another one of those terrible disasters so uh, i hope i hope christmas isn't too disappointing for sony but um it's not looking too hot and hopefully yeah. they'll and get... no ps3 nick yeah well i'm not too bothered about that I'm, I'm not really a gamer i think i'd rather have a wii myself <laughs> in fact that's what i need now so we'll have to stop podcasting so uh, I, i'd just like to thank you all guys uh, very much for for participating once again um thank you very much to hans jorg you're welcome and uh, thank you very much, Mark. I don't know what you're going to do because Hans has said you're welcome, and that's usually lo- your line. So you're going to have to come up with a new goodbye, Mark. Cheers. Yay! Well done, Mark. And, and Dave Spears, <laughs> thanks again for joining us. Cheers. And that makes it about Oi. a wrap for this week. Um, good to have Hans aboard. Um, always nice to talk to a fellow podcaster, and uh, I, frankly, um, always makes me feel a little bit uh, ashamed of myself that I can't speak German as well as he Anyway, um, that's it for this week. Uh, just like to say, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you know the drill. Uh, and we do actually now have a UK phone number uh, that you can call us on. But if you've got Skype, you can call us uh, using the Skype handle Sonic Talk, uh, or you can contact us uh, via our US Skype in number, which is 312-376-8089 if you're inside the US. Uh, and also we've got a UK number, which is a London number, with 0207-870-8616. That's plus 44 if you're outside the UK. 207-870-8616 or good old fashioned email sonictalk at sonictape.com uh, we'd be happy to hear any of your comments anything that you'd like to say put us right or if you've got something you'd just like to draw our attention to and we'll talk about in the subsequent podcast and thanks again to everybody for your emails and, uh, and good good words we we'll look forward to doing the next one Sonic Stage.com Stage.